Excuse me for a second. I'm using the rabbinic method. <laughs> Thank you for coming through the rain. And can I say at the very outset that I want to be um, very sensitive this morning. We both do. Because we may we realise that there may be people here whose journey is very different from our journey. There may be somebody here and you have a loved one who is dying from cancer. It may be someone who has not yet had the opportunity of reaching 68 years of age as I have. It may be someone who does not yet know the Lord. And uh, I want to be very sensitive to that. Uh, in addition, I realise that there may be someone here and a close relative died recently from cancer and it is all still very raw and I certainly don't want to uh, reopen wounds for you. Uh, perhaps it's unlikely but perhaps you have a fear of the big C word but perhaps if you did you wouldn't be here this morning. But um, we want just to... to, to, to um, share our story because I'm very conscious having lived with cancer for 10 years spent a lot of time in hospital treatment that everybody's situation is different everybody's journey is different everybody's treatment is different everybody's reaction is different therefore although we will be sharing our story we cannot do otherwise we cannot speak for anyone else. But having sat many times in the Bridgewater Suite, which is the uh, chemotherapy room of the City Hospital in Belfast, all kinds of people have come through there. Some of them very well-known people. Some of them responding well, some of them not. Some of them had treatment which lasted all day. Some of them had treatment which lasted half an hour. My treatment lasted five hours, but I saw a cross-section of people a large cross-section coming through and made me realise that everybody's journey and everybody's story is very different. You may be familiar, you probably will be familiar with Robert Peston. He's the economics editor of the BBC. You will often see him interviewed on um, uh, news or Newsnight or some of those programmes. He's a man with a slightly dishevelled look. <laughs> and I, I very much appreciate him. He's a very fresh thinker. His wife died three years ago and he was interviewed a year afterwards in the Saturday Times magazine about his wife's death and about the last year of their life. And I was very interested and a bit amazed to read that he and his wife, he said, never ever talked about her illness or about her upcoming death. Alice and I are on a journey we have talked a lot. In a very real sense, we are on three journeys. My journey, Alison's journey, and our journey. There are parts of my journey which some thoughts, some reactions, some feelings, physical, emotional, otherwise, which um, are very much part of my journey. And Alison may not know about them. There are reactions which she will sense which 
are part of her journey, which are very private to her. But certainly we are concerned as we've talked a lot and prayed a lot and thought a lot and read a lot over recent years. And we thank God for those years. <clears throat> took time to think and to prepare. That we want as much as possible to be brought from my journey and her journey into our journey. So that a journey which began 45 years ago in Edinburgh. Excuse me. We finish well. If I'm, I'm anyway tearful, please forgive that. It's not that I'm sad. I'm not sad. My heart's full of joy. But there are feelings which are deep and things which I share which are, which are very meaningful to me. We're on a journey. Um, in the past year, we, the past few years, we have been asked on several occasions to speak about our journey in some churches, our different perspectives on what it means to live with cancer. Some time ago, uh, we went to a church where the minister introduced us, and he told the congregation that we were coming to speak about coping with cancer. When I got to my feet, one of the first things I wanted to do, very gently I hope, was to reassure the people that we were not coping with cancer. Coping um, almost suggests putting up with, to use a good Northern Ireland word, tholing. We are not putting up with cancer. We are living with cancer. Another word I do not understand is the word battle. Quite frequently you will read in the press that so-and-so died after a long battle with cancer. I don't understand that. I don't understand uh, what that means. I have been living with cancer for 10 years. And during those 10 years, uh, we have been given plenty of time to um, think through the issues and many of the issues. And I want to answer some of the, what I think are the really pertinent questions this morning. Uh, I began with major prostate surgery in, in 2006, followed by several weeks of radiotherapy. I had major bowel surgery in 2009 for cancer, where part of my bowel was removed. From that point onwards, I have received uh, 40 chemotherapy treatments. I am so thankful by God's grace that I did not respond badly to them as many people do. Yes, you have your dippy days, as I call them. But some people I know can be extremely sick and, and just extremely miserable, even to the point that they, the, the, the treatment has to be stopped. Uh, now I, um, my cancer is progressing. I thank God that it has not been aggressive. It is progressive. Uh, the recent scan uh, showed that the cancer, which I know, secondary cancer, which is now in both my lungs and in my liver, uh, the cancers are progressing rapidly. And, uh, the, the, uh, and that is certainly information which I, I, I take on board. I know, I know some of you uh, are interested in athletics. I have a sister-in-law here got up at 2.30 this morning to watch the butterfly final. 
but I didn't. I stayed in my bed. But I'm looking forward, especially to next week, to the track events. And uh, to use a sporting analogy from track events, which you will understand very well. I really sense in my spirit that I have um, heard the final bell for the last lap. But that's okay. Now, what I want to do this morning is to just, very as briefly as I can, and I want to be careful because I do want to encroach on Alison's time. I want to answer some questions which I think are, are, um, are relevant questions. The kind of questions which maybe would be in your mind if you, if you are talking and thinking about the issue of cancer. How do I view my cancer? I dare say if when I sat in the Bridgewater Street so many times and all the various people came in and out more parts of Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, all age groups, all kinds of people, all kinds of classes. If, if I had said to them, uh, uh, how do you view your cancer? I'm sure many of them would have said to me, well, you know, I just don't think about it. I've just got to get on with it, haven't I? I've just got to get on and do what needs to be done. That I would suggest to you is not a Christian position. Um, what, how do I view my cancer? Number one, and I can dismiss this very quickly, I have not drawn the short straw. My cancer is not a punishment for sin. Job's friends would have told him otherwise. If you read the book of Job, I think the most helpful did his friends did things the most helpful thing his friends did for him was when for seven days and seven nights they sat with him and said nothing. The disciples of Jesus, you remember in John nine, they said to Jesus about the man born blind. Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. This man was born blind, so that the work of God would be displayed in him. Another one I would dismiss, I would dismiss quickly is, it is not a curse. I have been told to my face that my cancer is a curse. I do not accept that. It is not because of years of smoking and an atrocious appetite. It is not that. In many ways, I do not understand, we do not understand, why I have cancer. I don't understand that. But somehow I believe deeply, very deeply, that my cancer is part of the purposes of God for my life. It is a path which he has called me to follow. It is a path which I gladly walk on. He knows what he is doing. He is wise. He is good. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is intentional. You remember towards the beginning of Job, when he was miserable, Job's wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Listen, man, curse God and die. And he said to her, are you still 
Why are you talking like a foolish woman? Shall we accept good from God? Not trouble? I believe that God is all good. He is all wise. He makes no mistakes. He knows in all of our lives what he is doing. He is sovereign. When I first became a believer in Trinity College Dublin good many years ago, at that time one of my great encouragers was my friend over here, Ken Clark, who was down the road a bit from me. He taught me some good patterns. I began to underline verses in my Bible, highlighting them. Psalm 103. God has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over everything. God is at work in my life. That I am utterly convinced about. Any kind of suffering or sickness, and you may have experienced it yourself in your own family, in your own life, does not create dependence upon God. But it always highlights dependence upon God. So in terms of my sickness, my illness, my terminalness, God has allowed it. And he is good. Do I believe in healing? Absolutely. Certainly. How can you be a Christian? How can you read the Bible? And not believe that God does and can heal. And does. As a Presbyterian minister in various presbyteries in which I was in, I was on the healing committee. Prayed for many people. And saw evidence of people benefiting. Do I believe in healing? Yes. I believe that God could heal me. I don't say this lightly. I believe that God could heal me before I leave this room today because he is God. Have I been prayed for? Often. I've been prayed for with the laying on of hands, anointing with oil. I've been prayed for according to the instruction of James 5. If anyone is sick, call the elders. I've been prayed for many times in coffee shops and all kinds of places. And even now, I'm still open to being prayed for, very much indeed. Am I conscious in any way of having received healing? Yes and no. No in the sense that there is evidence, clear evidence, that cancer continues to grow in my body. The recent scan, the most recent scan has shown that the cancer is increasing in my body. I have little energy. I have very little appetite. I am losing weight quite rapidly. I am not as well as I was two months ago. A month ago, I went over with my wife and the family to a wonderful celebration when um, uh, Peter was conferred with his PhD over in Reading. I don't know if I could make that journey now. So in a sense, there's no evidence of physical healing. But in a sense, 
I am being wonderfully healed. Because of joy, I have peace, I have acceptance. Some people will say to me, how can we pray for you? Quite honestly at this stage, I'm not asking people to pray for my healing. I sense that God is not going to me. I strongly sense all the evidence is there. I sense in my spirit, in my relationship with my lovely Heavenly Father, that he will not heal me in this life. But I will be healed. I will be healed. But I sense the purpose of my Father is not to heal me in this life. Rather, people will say to me, uh, I'm praying for you. And Krishna I'm asking them, what are you praying for? And I've asked my friends who are praying for me to pray that I will finish well. That I will remain faithful, resolute, strong, in whatever ways I can be strong, and zealous right to the very end, and that I will go home well. What is my ultimate hope? These are all the questions. My ultimate hope, as you will gather from what I'm saying, is not in Professor Wilson in City Hospital in College, a wonderful man though he is, and he has walked with me for several years. My hope is not in a couple of new trial drugs, which may or may not be now available to me. I don't think they will be available. I'm having been under treatment now for a year, and I think we are really wondering, you know, uh, is there anything more we can we can do for this man? A wonderful finish to Second Corinthians four. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory which far outweighs them all. Therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen but as what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. My ultimate hope is in the kindness and in the faithfulness of God. And my prayer is daily that every day for the rest of my life I will see evidence, have the wit and the wisdom and the discernment and the gumption to see the faithfulness of God in my life. My hope is in 1 Corinthians 15. The mortal shall be clothed with immortality the perishable be clothed with the imperishable because Christ by his death and his resurrection he has conquered death I love that little statement of John Wesley once somebody once said to John Wesley what is it about your people your Methodists he said our people die well and I think one of the important functions of churches today is to help people to die well that doesn't mean to be always talking about death but to help people to die well. 
so that it's not a tremendous shock whenever that time comes. In the meantime, where does the rubber hit the road? I'm going to finish very quickly. Where does the rubber hit the road? There's a wonderful passage which I have loved for many years and it was opened up to me by a wonderful man who some of you will be familiar with, the Reverend Derek Alexander, when he preached in Hollywood Abbey in Edinburgh in the early 70s when I was a student in Edinburgh. He preached in Philippians too. You know that lovely hymn, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, although he was God, did not consider equality with God. You know the passage. Wonderful hymn. And then Paul goes on and says, Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're all on a different journey. We're all on a journey. Your journey may be different from mine. God recognizes your journey every bit as he does mine. But we're all on a journey. I'm on a journey. And on that journey... In the light of God's grace and his goodness to me over many years, the instruction to me is that I have to continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work in me. How does that work out? Day by day. How do I work out my salvation when I realize increasingly I can do less? A salutary when I realised two weeks ago that I was glad when my wife cut the grass and I didn't have to. That's part of the journey. But in that, I have to work out the journey. Wonderful man from Sudan, Elias Sudan, who spoke in St. Patrick's Church in Gold Rail when I was working with Open Doors. A man who suffered terribly. And I remember a woman walking down the aisle preaching. And he said to the preacher, he said, Bloom where you are planted. What a wonderful saying. Bloom where you are planted. Life is not waiting for the storm to pass. It is learning to dance in the rain. It is more important to trust God than to understanding. Do I think about death? Of course I do. I would be in absolute denial if I didn't. Alison, I've talked about death. The word widow has been mentioned. We have visited in the offices of Wades, the funeral directors of Korean, they have a file in their office with our requests and instructions for our funeral. We have even chosen the type of coffin wood we're going to use. And I can assure you it's the next best thing to cardboard. <laughs> Why waste money on a coffin? <laughs> Do I think about death? Yes. Am I afraid to die? No. 
I don't. I, I hesitate because I don't want to seem trite and unthoughtful. I'm not being unthoughtful. I've had plenty of time to think about it. Am I afraid to die? No. Why should I? If my heavenly Father is helping me to live in the big picture, and he has prepared a home for me, why should I be afraid? Do I want to die? No. We have four and a half lovely grandsons. The half is a daughter who's the sex of the baby we know. Lovely children. I would love to see Kelly and go to school. I would love to see our little grandsons and brothers growing up. Of course I would. But I'm afraid to die, no. Because any concerns about the process which might be involved in dying, I'm already beginning to make contact with Macmillan. Any concerns, any thoughts are driven out by joy. I came across a lovely quotation recently and I love it. Joy, listen to this, this is wonderful. Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Let me read that again. I think it's profound. Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Let me ask just one last question, which is not taking attention away from what I'm, my situation, our situation. How do you talk to somebody in your church who has cancer or some other life-threatening illness and may be terminally ill. Listen. Be prepared to listen. Learn to listen. So often, Christian people have said to me, Douglas, how are you? And I'm beginning to formulate a reply. How much information do I give? How little? And my pride begins, well, and they come back, you're looking very well. That is almost the end of the conversation. 
Because what they're saying is, uh, I, I want to encourage you. I'm a Christian. I want to encourage you. But, but I don't want to get too deep into this because I, I, uh, I don't understand where you're at. And I don't have a lot of time. There's somebody over there I want to talk to you also. Listen. To ask somebody, how are you feeling? Is probably less important than to ask them significantly, what are you thinking? Now, I think my good friend Ian Hardinson is on a similar journey. He knows what I'm talking about. People who will ask the right questions, not many, and be prepared to listen. May I finish to on a much lighter note before I hand over to my lovely wife. May I finish with a little request. Where do I, yeah, I close, close my nose down where we would have. Please, let me sing a good old hymn. I love that. I love the worship of New Horizon. The Gettys and others have written some wonderful stuff. Keith Townsend and others. But sometimes I long in a congregation to sing one of those old, deep, theological, solid hymns of declaration which I grew up with. Give you an example. And the majestic hymn, I'll just quote one verse. Him which I love. I probably haven't sung it in 40 years. Nor given the opportunity. Blessed be the everlasting God, the Father of our Lord. Be his abounding mercy praised, his majesty adored. When from the dead he raised his son and called him to the skies. He gave our souls a lively hope that they should never die. Isn't that a wonderful privilege for all of us? We have a lively hope. A hope which is constantly renewed. Thank you. Alison, back over to you. Leave your watch there, don't please. He is the best communicator. <laughs> it will be different. And you think this chair is just for him? <laughs> Thank you, Fanta. <clears throat> I just want to put this in a little bit of our present context for a moment. Um, life for us over the past couple of months has been very busy. Um, we're both very tired. Um, we've had a lot of family coming and going through our home. Um, I personally have not had a lot of time in preparation. It's in my heart. It's in my being. We have no wonderful PowerPoint. Um, so that is the context from which we come to you. The miracle is 
that we are both here and we're very thankful that God has allowed us to do this um, because we just feel passionate about sharing this journey with others. It's a journey not of despair. It's a wonderful journey of deep contentment and joy. And I want to thank New Horizon for the opportunity to share this journey with you. Uh, we do so with no special qualification or expertise other than to say that for all of us who love the Lord and call ourselves Christians, we are all on this same journey of edging home to heaven. And for each of us, that journey will be unique and it will look different. And I just want to reiterate to what Douglas has said. Um, as we share, we do so very gently, out of deep sensitivity. We do not want to minimise in any way the pain of anybody in this room or anybody who may listen to our story. But we can only be true to our own story and where we're at on that journey. And we don't want anybody to think of us as brave or special. We're no different to anybody here. All made in his wonderful image, but part of this fallen world yet to be fully redeemed. Isn't it amazing, as children of our Heavenly Father, his provision for each of us is tailor-made um, for all our individual and unique situations and needs. So what we may experience of God's grace and provision will be different to what you may experience and need. Over our years of ministry, and they have been long, and our own personal journey, we have discovered that there is a great deal of fear and despair out there. Uncertainty is a word that is being used a lot in the secular world at the moment. Uncertainty is not a word we would use on our journey. And sadly we have found this fear and despair quite prevalent in the Christian world around sickness and cancer and death. I'm going to um, set our story in a little bit of a broader context and then I'm going to talk about much more personal issues. In our culture today, death is one of the taboos, sadly, sadly even in the church. It's very often only spoken of at funerals. How often have we heard a wonderful sermon on what it is like for the believer to go home to heaven? We also live in a very sanitised culture, I believe, with amazing support structures around us, the welfare system and the NHS. And I just want to expand on that a little. Many people, groups of people are found in different um, institutions and buildings. Disability is in one place. 
old age is in another place in our old people's homes. Cancer is in another building. We need to learn to integrate these groups of people much more within our church life. I could expand on that, but I don't want to take the time. Our culture has also become very youth-orientated, consumer-driven, health-worshipping, and death-denying. And this very often means that death is all right at arm's length. It's okay in a book, or on the news, or in a film. But when it comes to our door, or to our neighbour, or to our workplace, it's an entirely different matter. We either deny that it's happening, we despair, we don't think about it, or dare I say that in some parts of the Christian world, believe that God is going to heal us from every sickness that comes our way. And I just want to take a moment to speak very gently into the whole area of healing. I, like Douglas, believe in healing, know that God could heal in the twinkling of an eye, have prayed for people to be healed, but I feel today that there is an element out there where people are being prayed for healing without a correct balance on the whole area and theology of suffering and pain and illness. And so they have a distorted view of suffering and death within the family. And in our ministry, we have walked alongside many who have been damaged because they haven't been ready or prepared. I have also evidenced a dangerous misquoting of scripture. For example, Isaiah 53, with his stripes we are healed. I want to refer you to this wonderful book by Joni Erickson, and I'll talk about her again in a few minutes. A Place of Healing, Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering. And the comment on that verse in Isaiah 53 is, Isaiah 53 primarily deals with the spiritual being of man. Its major emphasis is on sin and not sickness. It focuses on the moral cause of sickness, which is sin, and not on the immediate removal of sin's results. <clears throat> sickness. And I believe that. I will be referring to some books. Please, um, if you have a pen, write the names of them down because they're excellent. Another book that has been a blessing to me is by a local lady, Catherine Campbell, Broken Works Best. Two of her children are in heaven. Excellent book. Another book by Paul Mallard, Invest Your Suffering. Sadly, so often when death does occur in our society today, we don't know how to respond. We cross the road and we pass by on the other side. For all of us, death is one of the few certainties in life. 
Yet I believe as a society we have never been less prepared for this appointed destiny. We're all born to die. If you love the Lord and you, we his people fully understand that our God is sovereign and he does all things well. If we really believe that. We are the ones that need to be modelling to the world what it is like to live with the hope of heaven in the face of death. I believe that with all my being. We need to live, be living counterculturally. What does that look like? After all, eternal life for the believer is already here. I love the quote of Rick Warren. This life is not all there is. Life on earth is just the dress rehearsal for the real production. Isn't that brilliant? We live in a world damaged by the fall, a world not as God intended it to be. There is no immunity from suffering for the believer. The Bible is full of suffering and pain. Just read the Psalms, full of suffering and pain. Douglas has already referred to Job. God described Job as a man of integrity. He knew all about suffering. His seven sons and three daughters died. All his livestock and property, his own health um, deteriorated. And yet, what did he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And in my flesh I will see God. He knew where his identity was. Douglas and I have been so privileged to be uh, involved with this persecuted church. Those who choose to follow Jesus in the persecuted church are also choosing the certain possibility of immense suffering. It's a byproduct of following Jesus in the culture in which they live. And I see good friends of mine here from Turkey are heading back to that very uncertain um, country next week. In a city of a million and a half people, there are five known believers in that city. The population has almost doubled because of the trouble in Syria, and yet they're heading back there with hope and joy in the middle of that situation. Go to the Open Doors website and you will see all about suffering. <coughs> in, in a month, there are an estimated 330 believers killed for their faith every month at the moment. I've referred to Joni Erickson. Get a hold of her writings. They're wonderful. She has endured immense suffering. She has been living as a quadriplegic for over four decades. She's also had cancer. And she has asked the question, why? 
1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, We can see and understand only a little about God now, as if we were peering at his reflection in a poor mirror. <coughs> but someday we're going to see him in his completeness, face to face. Now all that I know is hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. I believe that with all my heart. Catherine Campbell, a quote from her, says about this verse, Don't allow what you don't understand about God to destroy what you already know about him. Our God is loving, he's caring, and he's just. Hudson Taylor knew immense suffering and he was passionate about China did he see any fruit? no he lost his wife buried a wife children suffered from very poor mental health but China today has one of the fastest growing churches I read in the Times magazine only last month China is on course to become the world's most Christian nation within 15 years. The number of Christians in China is growing so steadily that by 2030 there will be more church goers than there are in America. What amazing fruit. What an amazing God. Jesus himself was born to die, the sinless son of God, at 33 years of age. Such a cruel death. And he said, Yet not my will, but thine be done. As believers, we will have gloriously renewed bodies at the resurrection because of the cross. And Jesus did this for us to provide a way to reconcile us to God. Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you. 2 Corinthians 5 1 says when this tent we live in our body here on earth is torn down God will have a home for us in heaven for us to live in a home he himself has made which will last forever I recommend to you the wonderful book by Randy Alcorn just entitled Heaven we as believers Douglas and I want to live our lives however long or short, in the light of eternity and through the lens of eternity. Death is not our termination, but our transition into his presence. Rick Warren uses the phrase, we are not terminally ill, but transitionally ill. And he also goes on to say that the most damaging aspect of contemporary living is short-term thinking. No mere man has ever seen or heard or even imagined what wonderful things God has ready for those who love the Lord. Let's really walk that out and live that out. And now to our personal journey. When Douglas was first diagnosed in February 2006, we weren't actually together. Douglas was on his way to Cork and I was at home and immediately came to me it wasn't a, a note of despair oh this is terrible 
immediately came to me. This doesn't take God by surprise. It may take us by surprise, but it doesn't take God by surprise. Do we really believe as believers that there's nothing on the agenda of our lives that takes our Heavenly Father by surprise? I really believe that. We have had all kinds of diagnosis and prognosis um, and many of you may have experienced the same but I believe that only God knows our appointed time when he will take us home to heaven. We have known God's amazing faithfulness and presence in the past. Is that about to stop now? The truths and promises of this book are even more alive than ever to us. Because what God has worked into us, we are now walking out. I may be physically tired, um, and yes, there are <coughs> tears on the journey, but I can honestly say they have not lasted long. Because death is the last enemy for us all. But I have this raging hope within me in my spirit. And I have such a settled peace. We have made preparation for our future. When Doug was told that he had secondaries, um, we began to do lots of practical things. Doug mentioned the name widow. Where did I want to be left? A widow. And so that meant I've had 18 moves in my lifetime. I really am a bit of a gypsy. <laughs> and I needed to find a place where I would uh, have people who would walk with me confidently on this journey um, and spiritual people um, who would be with me when Doug goes home to heaven. And so we made that move again back to Port Stewart. We have sorted out our will when we made that move we did lots of clearing of stuff all the stuff in our house there is none when the kids come to clear it there will be none our wardrobes are all empty the drawers are empty we did all our photographs we made a special book for each of our six children with all the memories of, of us and we've given it to them um, when you're making your will, make sure you have enduring power of attorney. We are surprised at the numbers of people our age who have not yet done this. Um, Douglas has talked about planning our funeral. We've done all of that. And we get on with memory building with our children. And we enjoy every day God gives us. It's been a wonderful time. We know and understand well the unchanging character of God and his grace is sufficient. I have had to change in that area. I have been a planner and organiser, as you can imagine, with six children and being in ministry. I've always been away down the road, planning for two months ahead, maybe six months ahead. can't do that anymore. I can't plan a holiday. I don't know what's coming up next. We have been open about everything, uh, both together and with our family. Keeping six children informed and on board is a challenge, 
And each one of them will deal with this journey differently. And that's perfectly okay. Um, the kids have been involved in their dad's treatment. They've gone to appointments. They've flown home to sit with him on the chemo unit. And I want to pay tribute to Douglas here. Never once has he complained or said, why me? Never. He is always encouraging others, praying for others. Here are a few observations from my point of view. Remember, there are two walking this journey, each very different. Very often the focus is on the patient. Douglas has been very good at considering me. For example, we will get results from scans from the GP before we go in to the cancer unit. Because when you go to the cancer unit, or when you go to any consultation, nowadays very often you get the most pessimistic outcome or prognosis. And that's not always going to be your story. So that helps me to prepare and to process. Another observation. Don't ever say to somebody, we must call and see you sometime. I think that is the most cruel statement in the Christian world. And you never see them and they never turn up. Follow through, please, on that pleasantry. For us, that time is now past. And there will be no more, we must call and see you sometime, visits. Finding out information, um, if you want to find out how Douglas is, I will get many phone calls and texts. I will be completely unable to take those calls or reply to your texts. There's a wonderful Caring Bridge blog um, you can access and use and many people have done that and it's a wonderful way of getting information out to people. People asking you the same question over and over can be very, very wearing. Uh, my dear friend and I shed <coughs> a few tears together as we discussed this and I told her the phrase that I now use with people when they ask me how Douglas is, I say he's edging gently home to heaven. And you know something? It diffuses all the despairing responses that I have got in the past. And you don't even need to say anything to somebody on this journey. A hug is enough. My world has become limited and smaller. I can't plan ahead. That's absolutely fine. Um, I'm here in a context like this and people will speak to me. This has been a 10-year journey and prior to that, I walked a journey with my parents who were severely ill for 5 or 10 years prior to that. So I know hospitals very well. Um, be a risk taker. 
if you have a spare ticket for a concert, phone me. <laughs> Offer it to me. I may say no, but I may say yes at the last minute. I had a lovely experience a few weeks ago. I met Keith, Keith Getty. And Keith and our son Jonathan went to school together. And he didn't know about Douglas. And I said, you know, that Douglas was edging home to heaven. He didn't, not one word of despair. He said, here are two free tickets to my concert. What a gift. Take me out for a cup of tea or a walk. Mow the grass. Clean the gutters. (laughs) Find out where my spare key is. Go in and clean the house. Dusting I hate. When I'm in the hospital, if you know I'm on the chemo unit, you can do all those things for me. Food has been difficult for me, especially if I'm under stress. Um, I maybe have filled too many pots over the years. Find out the areas that you need support on. I have some lovely friends who just hang a meal on the door, put it in the house, um, not sweet things, hate them. (laughs) Don't ask me what I've been reading in the Bible. I couldn't tell you because I won't remember anything that I've read. And that's all right. But do send me Bible verses. Find out what works for yourself that gives you pleasure and rest and enjoyment. And I have found that out for myself. I love singing. I sing in a rock gospel choir. I'll be there tomorrow at the Scratch Choir. Uh, The garden gives me great pleasure. Handwork, I've knit more jumpers and done more stuff. Listening to the radio, mentoring young people and encouraging young people. Don't feel guilty because you can't go on the church rota. But do ask me occasionally to do something so that I can still feel connected. Today's world is full of unhealthy independence and isolation and my time is gone. We were made for relationship. I have observed over the years in ministry an increasing level of isolation and loneliness in the Christian family. Hospitality is virtually gone. Here again, we need to relearn to live counterculturally. As Christians, we shouldn't be spectators in each other's lives. We need to look for and listen to the hum of God's recreative life in each other's story and confession. We need to dignify people with their story and listen. I'm just going to cut a few things out here. The fact that we will all die should cause us to reflect on how we live here on earth. Living lightly. And I'm going to finish with a wonderful few quotes from a man called Adrian Drain. Get a hold of his book, Code Red. And these are his quotes. He was a consultant who died with blood cancer and left a young family. Our suffering is individually and expertly designed by the loving hand of our perfect physician so that our faith might be refined 
our holiness enlarged and our God glorified. And I love this. Suffering is not a problem requiring a solution, but a mystery requiring a presence. And so, like Andrew Drain, we ask along with him the question, where is the hope of your faith? Where is your strength really based? Is it in the bank balance, the monthly salary, the inheritance left for the children, the security of your spouse or family circle? Is it in the doctors or the drugs that they give out? Is it in status or position or success? All these may provide some sort of superficial short-term appearance of security, but they'll all be taken away from you. Having once had them and now having lost them might even be the source of your suffering. Or is your hope and strength in what you know to be true about God, that when he's tested you, you will come forth as gold, that you will see him as your Redeemer and Lord with your own eyes, that though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So do we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the sickness, the suffering, the death, the pain, or the wrinkles, or the worsening mobility? Or do we fix our eyes upon what is seen on Jesus and heaven and eternity? May the resurrected Jesus lift you up, encourage you, know that he walks with you, sees the beginning from the end. This is what enables us to face the final enemy with such hope. And so we journey on confidently secure in the knowledge that our God does all things well. And just before we leave, this lovely old hymn was given to me by a dear friend who painted this picture. She's an artist who prays for us regularly. And it will be sung at Douglas's Thanksgiving service. And I'm going to read it to you because it's the truth of our journey. In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar about me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me, and can I be dismayed? Wherever he may guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever waketh, his sight is never dim. He knows the way he taketh, and I will walk with him. Green pastures are before me, which yet I have not seen. Bright skies will soon be o'er me, where the dark clouds have been. My hope I cannot measure, my path to life is free. My Saviour has my treasure, and he will walk with me. Thank you for your patience and for your listening. Over to Paul.